So the lineage that we're studying in Matthew 1.1 begins with Abraham. And as we said last week, this lineage is your lineage. And he enters this lineage. Now we know that it, it goes back all the way to Adam. But Matthew starts with Abraham because he's proving something. He's proving that the lineage is a lineage of faith. And Abraham is this man who comes out of obscurity and he is known simply because of his faith. I mean, really, there's, there's nothing noble. I mean, we know that he won this battle. But even this battle that he won against all these kings is, is not what he's known for. It, it's, it was not the center of his life. But what becomes the center of his life and the most important thing is his faith. In fact, in Romans 14, 16, it tells us about the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So Abraham is often referred to as the father of faith. And Galatians 3, 7 said, those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. So we are the daughters of Abraham today. When I was um, young, we used to sing that song, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. So let's go marching on. And that's exactly what our study is on. It's about we are the children of Abraham. Father Abraham is our father, the father of faith. And it's time to march on. I think one of the problems is, is that faith is so misconstrued uh, misinterpreted, uh, misapplied. You know, there are those that say, if you have enough faith. I had a girlfriend and we were, um, she was at a prayer meeting years ago. And this woman grabbed the glasses off of her uh, face. She was 13 years old and stomped on them and said, if you have enough faith, you'll never need these glasses again. Well, my girlfriend, her parents weren't Christians and that did not go over well. To, to get home and to find out this craziness. And, I, and there are those people that they take faith way out of its context, don't they? And they do things that, with faith that it was never meant to be. There are all sorts of mystical approaches to faith. Some think it's a power that you harness, like, I got the faith now, and I'm about to move some mountains. As if it's a power that's in you, the power of faith. And, and we see that, don't we? In the world around us, there's a slogan, just believe, just believe. As if, you know, here's the magical fairy dust of faith and we all believe now. Or if you can just sustain your disbelief, everything you want will happen. But that's not faith. Because that's, faith is not predicated on faith. It's not the amount you believe. And it's not the power that you have to believe. You know, some people are just more gullible than others, aren't they? And they just believe anything. There are others that are so innocent, they just believe anything. You know, um, I felt really guilty because with my um, grandson, he asked me something, you know, like, you know, grandma, you know, who made the moon? And I don't know why, but I said, I did. He said, really? How did you do it? You know, and then you're like, oh, why did I say that? What You know, but there's that, he's just so sweet. Like, grandma wouldn't lie to me. She's my grandma. And then I told him, no, God made the move, but he made it for you and for me. But the idea is 
that it's not the ability to believe. Because there's some things we just aren't to believe. And we always need to exercise discernment. This I believe, this I don't believe. I don't believe the lies, I believe the truth. And so it's not just about believing. Faith has an object. And faith has an objective. And faith's object is God, his work, his word, and his promises. And faith's objective is to trust God, to trust God's word, and to trust God's promises. So it's not just faith in faith. That won't get us anywhere. It's got to be faith in God. In Hebrews eleven six, it says, he who comes to God must believe that he is. This is the inception. This is where faith starts. To believe a lie will not do you any good at all because it's only the truth that will set you free according to Romans eight thirty one. So we must believe God is who he says he is. We must believe in the work of God that he has done everything that he said he has done according to his word, everything that he's accomplished for us through his son, Jesus Christ. We must believe his word, that everything that's written in this book is true, inspired, and inerrant. And we must believe his promises, that his promises were not just for yesterday, but his promises are for us and they are for today. I think of Martha, who when Jesus came and said to Martha, your brother will rise again. Martha said, yes, Lord, I know that in the last days, my brother will rise again. And I think some of us are so like Martha, we put all the promises of God to the last days. I know after I die, I'm gonna go to heaven and things will be good. And right now I just have to suffer through it. And Jesus was saying to Martha, today, today my promises are true. Today I'm the resurrection and the life. And then he went on to show her by raising Lazarus from the dead. Years ago, I had a terrible sore throat. I'm pretty tough about pain, having had three children without any medication. One was 28-hour labor, 18 hours of hard labor. Sad how we remind our children of that, but we do. (laughs) But, you know, I'm pretty tough about pain. Uh, My dad didn't like me to cry, so he'd say, oh, I don't don't want to see any tears. So, you know, it's like, so I'm pretty tough about pain. And I had this sore throat, and it wasn't an ordinary sore throat. It was worse than every sore throat, uh, uh, than any sore throat I've ever had. So I go to the doctor. And I remember she looked at me and she's like, "Uh, I guess I have to swab your throat. And I'm like, thank you very much. And so she takes a swab and she's like, you know, I can't say anything. I think you're just going to have to suffer. You know, yes, I did not go to her again. But I remember, you know, she did the Petri dish and everything and, you know, dismissed me. And she was treating me like such a lightweight. I mean, I was just like, you know what? That's it. I went home and I wrote a note to Brian. I am not speaking until the sore throat is over. I will only write notes and I'm only drinking grape juice and having ice chips for the next three days. And that's what I did. I just did grape juice, ice chips. My dad believed grape juice could cure anything. So it's like kind of like the Smith um, remedy for everything. So I just went to the grape juice and I did it for three days. And after three days, I was fine. I was better. I was healed. And so they called me up and they said, um, Mrs. Broderson, your, your results came back and you have strep throat and here is the antibiotics that you need and you know, where should we call in the prescription? I said, you know what? 
When I went to the doctor, she said I was just going to have to suffer. So I just went home and suffered. (laughs) And I just drank grape juice and ice chips and it's over and I don't need those antibiotics. And the lady on the phone was like, I don't know if that's possible. Let me talk to the doctor. I said, okay, but good luck. She's going to tell you, you just have to suffer. But you know, there are, there, are those, there, there are those times that we need to believe that the promises are for now. You know, we're not, we're not just to suffer through life. We are to prosper through life. We are to believe and to stand in the promises of God. These are to be our comfort. In Psalm 119, David said, in the multitude of my anxieties, your word comforts my soul. It's the promises of God that we lean into, that we press into, into these times. We must believe in God, who he is, the biblical revelation. We must believe in what God has already done. And we must believe his word, what he says. And we must believe in his promises. It's all for that we must believe in because To believe in God and not his promises is really not to believe in God. Because he says, I am a covenant-keeping God. I am a God who makes promises and keeps them. Abraham believed God, and we're told it was accounted to him for righteousness. And in the same way, we believe God and the person of Jesus Christ and his Messiahship. And it is counted to us for righteousness. God qualifies us. For all the promises by believing in Jesus Christ, we are then brought into the lineage, this divine lineage of Jesus Christ, where we are heirs and co-heirs with Christ, and we become the recipients of God's promise. But as we're talking about faith, remember, it's about what we believe, God, about what we believe about God, what we believe about his work, his word, his promises. Those, that's the objective is to believe. And the object is God, his work, his word, his promises. But even as I say this, I want to talk to you about three aspects of faith. Okay? So we believe this, but here's three aspects. And we're going to see these three aspects of faith. There are three ways that faith is worked out in our lives. And we can see this in the life of Abraham. So first, we're going to talk about saving faith. And secondly, we're going to talk about, I call it an unction of faith, but you could also call it the gift of faith, which you learn about in Romans 12. Or, and then finally, sustaining faith. These are the three aspects of faith that we see in Abraham. So first, we see saving faith. This is the faith that says, I believe Jesus is God's son, sent into the world, that he died for my sins, rose again on the third day, and is seated on the right hand of the Father, and will come again to rule and reign on the earth. Years ago, when we lived in England, um, the purser at the school that we met, his name was Tony, and he had just come to faith. And so he wanted to take that faith. He just met Jesus Christ. And he wanted to tell it to his best friend, um, a woman named Tracy and her husband, and his name escapes me. It's not my notes right now. It'll come to me like three quarters of the way through the study, and I'll tell you then. But anyway, 
He was sharing with them about Jesus Christ. They had an autistic son named Aaron who had never uttered a word in his life. He was seven years old. And he walked into the room as Tony was sharing Jesus with um, Tracy and Mick. Aaron walks into the room and says, Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins and rose again on the third day and turned around and walked out. And they, they turned to Tony and said, what do we need to do to be saved? It was such a miracle. And they came to the church, uh, Calvary Chapel in London, and they got saved. I mean, it was just incredible. And then they got married, which was really exciting. I mean, it was just one thing after another. In fact, I'm just going to add a little bit to this. Okay. So we left England, right? And Tracy and Mick continued to walk with the Lord and they started to let it slip away. Now the Lord completely began to work in Aaron and heal him. Um, Right now he's in college, this little boy that couldn't say anything. But there's even more to this story because Mick and Tracy had started to get a little bit away from the Lord. You know how that happens when everything starts to work out? And, you know, when you get to in the prosperity, sometimes that's the most dangerous place, like we said last week. So they had begun to slip away. So Brian and I um, were asked to go to Leatherhead. Brian was speaking at Calvary Chapel Leatherhead. It was a Calvary that Brian had never spoken at before, but we knew the pastor and his wife, really excited about it. I personally had never been to Leatherhead before. Brian had. And I'm sitting there at church, and I have a friend who will go nameless, but she was in the spirit. And she tweeted me that she really, really wished her friend who was in England would bring her Cadbury chocolate. And this was my last day in England. We were literally leaving the next morning, my last opportunity to buy Cadbury. So I said, Brian, because I was in England, I said, Brian, I'm just going to nip out because that's how the English talk about nipping. I'm just going to nip out and go down and get some chocolate. So I'm in the market and I'm getting chocolate and I'm walking out and I see this couple. I turn around and I see this couple and they're like this. Like the, you know, these scared, incredible faces of shock. And I look at them and I'm thinking, you know, your first thought is, that's a weird expression. Can they tell I'm an American? And then I look at them like, Mick, Tracy. And they're like, Cheryl, we said today, Lord, if we are to come back with you, and if you're real, give us a sign. Like, let us run into Brian or Cheryl or something. <laughs> Not even knowing we were in England at that time. And they're like, and we go to the market. And there you are, <laughs> buying chocolate. I'm like, yes, so God. Chocolate is, just has that divine aspect. <laughs> but you know, okay, so that has nothing to do with the Bible study except for to say... God drew them back, right? Amen. But this is what we need to believe. Romans 10, verses 8 through 13. Again, this is saving faith. The word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes to righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made to salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus described this saving faith as a mustard seed. It goes in so small. Do you remember when you first believed? You're like, okay, here I go. I'll just try this. How many of you, when you got saved, you're just going to try it? You know, I'll just try this. Okay, thousands of you. 
I see no hands. But I know people who said, you know what? This is my last resort. I'm just going to try this. They just, you know, and there used to be a bumper sticker, try Jesus. And there were people that just tried Jesus. It went in like a mustard seed, but it became a veritable tree in their heart. It grew strong as they gave attention to this saving faith. You see, saving faith goes in strong, but the more attention we give it, the greater it grows. Matthew 13 talks about the need to give attention to the seed that goes in us. If the seed has little attention, it's like being thrown upon the road and the enemy just snatches it away. If it's given some attention, it begins to work in us, but withers at trials and persecution and discouragement. If we give it distracted attention, it begins to grow. It's all ready to bear fruit, but the distractions like weeds choke it out and it's never given room to grow or to become anything great. But if you give to this mustard seed of faith, the attention, if you give it room to grow, if you water it, if you weed around it, you will get a great harvest of 30, 40, and 100% of what is planted. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Paul, uh, Peter says, adding all diligence to your faith. We need to give diligence to this saving faith. Abraham exercised saving faith. Again, he believed the Lord and it was counted to him for righteousness. He heard the call of God while he was living in Ur with his father and family. Genesis 12, one says the Lord spoke to him and says, get out of your country from your kindred and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Abraham simply took God up on this offer. And that was saving faith. He departed at 75 to follow the Lord. God has called us. We have heard his call. And he has asked us to leave everything else behind. To love father, mother, sister, brother, um, children, lands security less than him, to put him first. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Abraham took God up on his offer and he believed God's promises, the I wills of God. God's promises are predicated on what God will do. So God gives us an offer in saving faith that we can't refuse. I will forgive your sins. I will work on your behalf. I've already done it. And all you need to do is believe on my son whom I've sent. The provision has already been made. And saving faith is when we just believe. God's promises to Abraham, the I wills are the same I wills that God promises to us again, because Abraham is the father of faith. And here's God's offer to us. I will show you a new land. God shows us a new way of living, a new way to do life, doesn't he? 
We've had this old way and these old habits and the way we used to do life. But God gives us a new land. He says, I will make you a great nation. God promises to work in our lives and make us into something, doesn't he? Make us into a new creation. He says, I will bless you. What is that? God is saying, I will favor you and I will get involved in your life. Before we were aliens, we were foreigners from the promise of God, but now God, I will. Saving faith brings God's intervention, intrusion, work right into our lives. God says, I will make your name great. Now, name has to do um, not only with the reputation of a person, but more with the character of a person, You're who you are. So God promises to change our character, to make our character something that is virtuous, something that is praiseworthy. He says, I will make you a blessing. Colossians 1, 10, Paul prays that we would be fruitful in every good work. And this is what God is saying. I will make you a blessing. I will bless the things that you put your hand to. I will make you a blessing to others. Not that we make ourselves a blessing to others. That gets very tiring, trying to bless everybody, especially two-year-olds. It just doesn't work out very well. We can't make ourselves a blessing, but God can make us a blessing to others. And then God says, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is what God does for us. And those who believe in God, his word, his work, his promises are saved and enter into this saving faith covenant with God. But now there's the second aspect to faith. And I call it again, the unction of faith. In 1 Corinthians 12, 9, it's called the gift of faith. I said it was Romans 12 earlier. I made a mistake because I am anything but perfect. I am so far from it. But that's where faith comes in, right? But it's called the unction of faith. This is where the promises of God get very personal and unique to each one of us. It's like this compelling. It's in Ephesians 2.10. It says that we have, that God has gone before us and preordained these works that we should walk in. Remember, you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So each of us are a different workmanship or different masterpiece of God. And he has a purpose for this masterpiece that he's already intended, that he's already prepared for us to do those works. He's gone before us. And we just get to walk in these works. And it's different for each one of us. It's unique. Philippians 2.13 says that God is working in us to will and to do of his own good pleasure. So God is giving us the desire to do these things. It's that unction of faith. Not all of us, like Abraham, are called to an extended camping trip in a foreign land or to wait 25 years for a son of promise. Or 25 years for a promise. I was talking to someone today and I was like, how long did that promise take you? She's like, eight years. I'm like, okay, someone else with a promise that came sooner. (laughs) You know how we are. But that unction of faith comes to us like a compelling. Suddenly, 
you have this strong desire to do something or to move. Um, it's beyond your reasoning. And sometimes you stop and you ask yourself, why am I doing this? Or why am I thinking? Or why is this so heavy on my heart? Why can't I get away from this? I remember this happening to me before we ever moved to England. I couldn't stop thinking about England. Everything was England, England, England. And I remember Brian came home and he said, you know, my dad had asked Brian in 1994 to come up and start working into the pastorship of this church. And Brian said, do you think I'm going to go up to Costa Mesa and be the pastor? I said, no, I think we're going to move to England. And he looked at me and said, you're right. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh. That's kind of how the unction of faith is. You're like, oh no, what have I just said? What have I just committed myself? Sometimes it's an unction to suddenly share the Lord with someone in line in front of you. You're, You're like, I can't believe I'm talking Jesus right now. And I don't even know this person. I had that just um, two weeks ago on an airplane. I sit down next to the, the, he was so handsome. He was 35. I want to set him up with Jasmine. And he's a psychologist that lives on Balboa Island. And uh, I was saying, like, I believe in absolutes. He's like, I believe in absolutes too. And I'm like getting around to faith in Christ. And I found myself just sharing with him. And he was agreeing with everything. It was just like this incredible conversation. And you find yourself like, wow, this is so God. It's something that's greater than you that you didn't plan for because we as women plan everything, don't we? Our purses are all about planning for a day's event or any inevitability or something that could happen to us. You know, our purses have it all, everything but what we need. (laughs) And, you know, we're all about planning. But the unction of faith, that happens without your planning. It's that thing that just happens. Um, Maybe an unction to visit your neighbor, an unction to write a letter. I wrote, um, I read this book. I absolutely love the book. And I wrote, um, I think it's my third fan letter. I wrote one. And I just quoted all the places. The book is called Found Faithful. I just love this book. And I just wrote this woman, thank you for writing this book. These are the quotes that minister so much to me. And this is why. And she wrote back and said, call me on my cell phone. I'm like, ah! you know, it's like, why did I write a letter? And um, I, I did call her. It was like the most wonderful conversation. But I felt like, oh, I can't believe I'm talking to her. Because when I read a book, I kind of like um, fall in love with the author or authoress. You know, it's like, I know you. And uh, that's how it was with this book. But that unction that the, that the Holy Spirit will give you, that unction of faith, that suddenly you're propelled into something and you're doing something that you hadn't planned on doing, but you felt just compelled to do. When Abraham actually got up and went to this unknown land and began to build altars to God, taking Sarah and Lot, that was his unction of faith. He just got up and he moved on it. You know, it's one thing to receive it and say, I believe you. But the unction of faith actually moves you into that specific will of God for you. We have a friend named Raphael that we worked with in England, just a darling Spaniard. He's my son in the faith. I just absolutely adore him. And he was working at Pizza Hut and he led this this girl to the Lord. And um, she just fell in love with the Lord and... um, he was feeling though that the Lord was calling him back to Mallorca and he didn't want to go back to Mallorca, but it was getting so strong that he was supposed to go back to Mallorca. So he said to her, I'm moving back to Mallorca. And she looked at him and she said, but you're going to marry me first. 
And he said, yes, I am. And then he went, what am I gonna do? Oh, you know, he couldn't believe he had committed. So he calls me, because I'm like his second mom, like, Cheryl, I just asked Loretta to marry me. What have I done? Ah! This is what actually he said, ay, 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 ay. I said, wow, Spaniards actually say that. I thought it was only Ricky Ricardo. So he did, he married her. They went to, to Mallorca and he gets there and he thinks, what in the world have I done? Because he didn't like Mallorca. That's why he left Mallorca. And now he's back. And he starts going to a church. And the pastor asks him to speak for him. Raphael speaks for this pastor, having never pastored a church before in his life, just sharing the word of God. The pastor says, I'm giving you the church. Raphael takes the church. He's there for about six months. And the pastor says, I want my church back. Get out. And the people in the church say, no, we want Raphael because he teaches us the word. And Raphael has been pastoring Calvary Chapel, Mallorca for over, over um, 15 years now. I mean, it's just a God thing. I was recently speaking um, for Calvary Chapel, um, Tallahassee. Oh my goodness, Tallahassee is such a scary place. 50 different snakes, but only six of them are poisonous. I only know this because I looked it up after seeing a snake there that a woman kicked away with her flip-flop. Um, <laughs> She's like, oh, that's just a worm. I'm like, no, that's a red snake with a black ring. I'm looking that up, you know? So I went on my little handy-dandy iPad, looked up snakes of Florida, and I found it, and it wasn't poisonous, but still, it was there. But um, I met um, Kent and Debbie Nottingham, and he is the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Tallahassee. And I said to Debbie, I came here to do a retreat. I didn't know God was gonna give me a friend. She's just this amazing person. I loved her because we ate cheeseburgers together. That's when I knew. I'm a hamburger fanatic. That's when I knew it was going to work out and be so good. And we both got whole wheat buns. That was like, oh my goodness. And cheese. It was just like God was doing the whole thing. But as we talked, she was telling me that um, 28 years ago, she and her husband, they had um, become Christians. They were in Las Vegas. Um, She was actually a blackjack dealer and he was the manager of the casino. And she got saved, but kept doing the blackjack, not knowing because sanctification hadn't taken place yet. And he got saved, but it was great because the casino gave him Sundays off so he could go to church. So they're going to church and the word of God is working in both of them as they're going to church. And he's growing um, from being at this Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas. He's growing, he's growing, he's growing in, in his faith. And all of a sudden, one day, he feels this compulsion to go to Tallahassee. And he says to his wife, I think we're supposed to move to Tallahassee and start a Calvary. And she said, yes, we are. But they didn't know where Tallahassee was, except for it was in Florida. They had never, ever been to Florida, let alone Tallahassee, but they knew. So he says, well, I think I need to talk to Chuck Smith. So he flies out, makes an appointment with my dad and says, Chuck, I feel like uh, the Lord is calling me to start a Calvary in Tallahassee. My dad says, praise the Lord. Go for it. That's how you used to become a Calvary. No paperwork. Just get a go for it from Chuck and you could go for it. So he got permission. So he and his wife sold all their possessions except for what could fit in their little car. They put their six-year-old and their four-year-old. Now imagine going from Las Vegas to Tallahassee. Okay, so you're talking dry to wet, you know, And they drive all the way to Tallahassee and they get there. And when they get to Tallahassee, they see that there's a church on every corner. 
And they're saying, Lord, could you really have been calling us here? There are so many churches. So they set up a church and they're there for two years with two services a week and 14 people. But after two years, God began to bless the church. He gave them a radio station and the church today is somewhere in the thousands and it's just the most amazing church with women who are so full of faith, they kick snakes away with (laughs) flip-flops. This unction of faith is also seen in Matthew chapter 14. This is the faith that compelled Peter to say, Lord, if you want, call me out of this boat and I'll walk on water to you. And and that's that's that unction of faith that gets you out of the boat and you're walking on water. And all of a sudden, like Peter, you feel the strength of the wind. Maybe you're thinking, what am I doing? I do not walk on water. I do not know anything about Tallahassee. I've never been here before. What am I doing here? And you begin to sink. But this is the great thing. What happened to Peter? It says immediately, God, Jesus grabbed his arm, pulled Peter into the boat. And immediately they were at the place they needed to be. You can't fail with faith. Faith cannot fail. As we read in our homework, uh, I'm sorry, as we read in Romans earlier, that he who believes in God will not be put to shame. It's impossible to be put to shame when you are believing in God. This is the faith that attempts something for God. As Hudson Taylor said, attempt great things for God. God will give you an unction of faith. And it might be about a spouse, a job, a housing, sharing the Lord with someone. But it's that unction that gets you in the specific will of God for your life. Now, the third aspect of faith is the sustaining faith. This is the faith that continues to walk with God and believe his promises, even when they seem impossible, even when they linger, even when they take a long time, even when you've been waiting forever and ever and ever. We had a seven-hour drive with our uh, two grandsons about four years ago. And I remember uh, Ryder, he was about four, and he just, he slept. And all of a sudden he woke up, he goes, I've been in this car seat forever and ever and ever. You know, you thought, you didn't feel it, you were asleep. But sometimes it feels like we are waiting forever and ever and ever for those promises that God has given us. Remember, Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90 before those promises were ever fulfilled. And and we read that Abraham tried to give God an out. Look, I'll provide a way for this promise to come true. Don't we sometimes do that? Lord, I'll pay for the promise to come true. Okay, I'll put my money in there and we'll just make this promise come true. And what does that do? That turns into an Ishmael. That's what happens when we try to help God fulfill the promises that are predicated on him. I've compartmentalized my life and this is what I have. And I found that this is what I have to do. Those things that God has put in my hand to do and those things that God has not put in my hand to do. But I wanna do them and I can't because he hasn't put them in my hand, you know? There are certain things that are just out of our reach. And God says, this is mine alone. This is what I put before you. You can love your husband. You can love your grandchildren. You can teach on Friday mornings. These are the things. Do the things I put in your hand and leave the rest to me. Do the things God has put in your hand and leave the rest with God. All of us have things in our life that we can't do. We cannot make those promises come true that God has given us. So put them in God's hands. Give them to God. 
Abraham did not lack faith. He just tried to help God out with his promises. This is not a wavering in faith. This is like, oh, I will help you make the promises come true. You know, sometimes we, we want to defend God. We want to prove that Jesus is real. So we're trying to help him out with the promises. You know, we're trying to make him look good. We're, we think we're Jesus PR, you know, public relations. I'll make you look good. You know, that might be a little rough to say. So let me soften it a little bit. And, and we try to do PR for Jesus. He doesn't need us as the PR. He will do everything that he has promised. And ours is sustaining faith. Sustaining faith is progressive. As we walk with God, the revelation of the promise that God is giving us, the revelation of who God is, and the work that he's done, and his promises for us get bigger and bigger and bigger. The details get clearer as we walk with God. And as we walk with God, the way that we continue, how we walk with God, how we sustain our faith, and how that faith, because we're told in the Bible to build ourselves up in Jude, in the most holy faith, we do it through the knowledge of God. Know all that you can about God. What does he say? What is his self-revelation about himself? I once just did a personal devotion for myself about what God likes and what God doesn't like. And in Proverbs 6, there's some things he really, he downright hates. And you better know what they are. And there are other things that God loves. He loves showing mercy, we're told in Jeremiah. We need to know our God, a knowledge of our God. We need to know the word of God. And we need to know the promises of God. There are promises for all of us that are, are some of them are going unclaimed. I remember years ago, um, Nancy was speaking um, at one of our retreats. And it was so funny because I so related to this. She said that she, she wears readers because she wants to deny that she needs glasses. I can say that because she's my friend. And she said that she had, she had hooked a pair on her shirt. She had some that were on a band around her uh, neck. And she had some up on her head, one of her pairs. And she was doing her devotions and the phone rang and she went to get the, the phone. And this person was telling her to um, read a number to her. Well, she couldn't read a number without her glasses. So she's on the phone, but she's telling Jane, get my glasses, get my glasses. And Jane is going, and she's thinking, sign language now? Can't the girl just obey me? You know, does she have to act like a teenager now and give in to her nature? You know, she's getting more and more frustrated with Jane that Jane's not going and getting her glasses. Finally, Jane says, mom, they're on your head, they're around your neck, and you're wearing them, you know, on your shirt. And she looks down and she sees, you know, oh my goodness, I've got glasses. And she said, it was like the promises of God. We've already got them. They're on our head. They're in our mind. They're around our neck. We're wearing them, but we're just not using them. We're just not putting them on and utilizing, but they're already ours. And we're asking for people, you know, give me promises. Give me promises, God. And God's going, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> you've got them. They're there. But see, sustaining faith is the faith that walks in those promises and grows. We're told in Romans 4, 18 through 22, that there are steps of faith, or this is how you walk in faith. This is the sustaining faith that we're all to walk in. How do we sustain faith? How do we keep walking in faith? We do it like Abraham. Why? Because Abraham is the father 
of faith. And because Abraham received the promises of God. So this is what we're told. Number one, that contrary to hope, verse 18, he believed in God's word. Contrary to hope. In other words, he, he did not, he did not give more faith to the circumstances in his life than he did to God's word. And sometimes we do that, don't we? We trust more in oppression than in deliverance, don't we? We trust more in, in, in the hatred of man than in the love of God, don't we? We trust more in our deficits than we do in God's sufficiency and provision. Isn't that true? We put more faith in the things that are against us than in the one who is for us and what he has told us in his word. Is that true? Yes. Shame on us, but we do. Abraham put more faith in God's word. He says, I know what it looks like, but I'm just going to believe God. I know that circumstances look like this, but I'm going to believe God. Secondly, he didn't consider his own body. So many times we measure God's promises by our own strength or ability. Oh yeah, I got enough money to cover this one. For sure this is going to happen. Or I've got a good lawyer to fight this one. Or I've got a great you know, avenue for this one. And we trust in our own selves, our own wisdom, our own abilities. Abraham didn't do that because he knew he was too weak. He was 100 years old and it hadn't happened. So he couldn't trust himself. And the promises of God, sustaining faith is a faith that we never trust ourselves. Brian was teaching from Philippians chapter 3. And Paul says there, we are that circumcision that put no confidence in the flesh. That's who we are. We are the ones that don't say, oh, I've got it. I'm enough for this. We're the ones that say, oh, Lord, this is so beyond me. It's all on you. That's that sustaining faith. It's all on you, Lord, to make it happen. We're told that he didn't consider, number three, the deadness of Sarah's womb. He didn't need others to fulfill God's promises. God's promises were not only independent of the circumstances, independent of Abraham's ability, but also independent of Sarah or friends or those you know or the relationships you have. Because sometimes what happens is we begin to put our faith in our husbands or our friends or those who are close, of us, close to us to make those promises of God happen in our lives. And if we've got strong people, you know, if Thor is our next door neighbor, we're thinking this is gonna happen. We can make this happen, it's, I'm safe. But God wants our dependency on him alone. And so Abraham did not look to Sarah in expectation for the fulfillment. Of course, he couldn't because she was 90 and she was um, at that point past childbearing age. We're told that he strengthened himself in faith so that he did not waver in unbelief. So how did he strengthen himself in faith? How do you strengthen yourself in faith? We talked about this just a few minutes ago. We strengthen ourselves by a knowledge of God by the word of God, by rehearsing the promises, and by praising the Lord. This is how we strengthen ourselves in faith. I think of um, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And you've got this huge army that's camped out. It's a multitude without number um, in the valley of Seir, not too far from Jerusalem. And they're coming and they've got one thing on their mind, to destroy Jerusalem. That's what they want to do. 
and Jehoshaphat is there in the courtyard of the temple, and he says to the people, can you imagine if your king comes before you? <laughs> like, like, let's say that we were just attacked by a foreign country, and Obama says, uh, we don't have a plan, and we don't have an army. So I uh, just wanted you to know the status of the United States. You know, we'd be like, what? And this is exactly what Jehoshaphat does. He gets everybody together, women, children, men, and says, here's the status. We've got this huge multitude against us and we have nothing, no strategy, no army or anything, but we do have the Lord. So let's pray. And it said that he fell on his knees with his hands towards heaven. And all of those in Jerusalem did the same thing. They fell on their knees. And he said, are you not the God who made promises? And he rehearsed the promises and the fulfillment of God. And then uh, we're told that Hananiah, the prophet, actually he was a singer, stands up and says, believe the Lord and you will be victorious. Believe the prophets and you will be established. And then the Lord gives them a song to go out against the army, a word of praise. And it was, it was, bless the Lord for he is good and his mercy endures forever. It was a word of praise. And we know what? That was enough, wasn't it? That was the word that routed the enemy and turned the enemy against each other. Part of sustaining faith is to continue to praise the Lord. We're told that Abraham gave glory to God. He began to thank God for his promises, and he concentrated his attention on praising God. You know, when we are walking through hard times, how many thoughts are hitting you? They are evil thoughts, aren't they? They're satanic thoughts. You're going down. You're not loved. You're wrong. It's over. How many of those thoughts do we have? God's not going to come through now. What do you do? Begin to praise God. You have to replace thoughts. You have to take that thought captive and say, no, I'm going to sing, be still my soul. Like Chelsea, I'm going to remember that the Lord is in control, that he is sovereign. I am going to begin to change my thoughts. And sometimes I need a song. Last night was a pretty hard night and I kept singing. I, I just kept going through my mind. Holy Spirit, you are welcomed here. Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. And, and that was the song that, kept, that sustained me through the night. And we need to replace those thoughts and give glory to God. And that's what we do. And then finally, he was fully convinced that God could do it. He measured the promise in the light of the one who creates stars. Now, did you know that the sun is one of the lesser stars? Did you know that there's a star that's five million times brighter, stronger, and bigger than the sun? It's LBV. You know what? They ran out of names, but God knows its name. God made that star. This is how faith is sustained, by growing in our knowledge of God, by giving time and diligence to studying God's word, by receiving and rehearsing the promises of God to us, by praising the Lord in prayer and praise and fellowship, and by considering the works of God. Finally, there is a reward to our faith. Hebrews 11.6 said that he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. What did God say to Abraham? I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. You have got to believe that there is a payoff for serving God. There is a reward. David said, I would have lost heart if I believed 
I would not see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. If I thought the promises were only heaven and then on, I would have lost heart. But when I realized that the promises are for today, when he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, that you may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man does to me. That's a promise for today. That's a promise for today. When I was teaching Sunday school, I always have a reward box. Um, I like to do things on the basis of rewards. And so what I would do is I would start my class and I would get everybody's name in a bucket. And then I had this um, box of just rewards and I would show the children all the things, all the possibilities of things that they could win if they listened and, and participated in the Bible study. So I would pull out, I'd bubble yum tape and um, the paper, uh, the balsa wood gliders and yo-yos and, you know, different things that I had in this box and you got to pick one. I remember one year I was teaching up at family camp and these boys had given, had put on the wrong name tags. They were, you know, thinking they were really smart. And I said, you know, that's fine. Wear the wrong name tags. But if I pull your name because I don't know who you are, really are, I'm not going to be able to call on you. And this kid goes, I'm Lance, give me my name tag. And and they cooperated, and I felt it really worked. Well, I had a parent who got really angry at me. And they said, how dare you give prizes to the children? You know, they don't need prizes, and they should just be getting the word of God. And, you know, these prizes, what are you setting them up for? And I took them to Hebrews chapter 11, 6. And I said, I want every child that I teach about the word of God to know that our Heavenly Father is a rewarder of those that diligently serve him. I want every child to know that our God is a blessing God and he blesses those and he obligates himself to those who choose to walk with him. And I want those children to know because God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. I want the children to know there are rewards to serving God. There are. There are rewards to faith. Faith is has a reward. And it's not just heaven. It is salvation. It is a new life. It is a new heart. It is new friends. It is new pursuits. It is the hope of heaven. It is a new place and a new body. It is, but it's also God's promises for today. What a God we serve who has given us a book of promises. We talked about this last week, second Peter one, three through four. This is one of my favorite scriptures. As his divine power has given to us all things, whatever we need that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to glory and virtue. He has given us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these we may become partakers in the inheritance we have exceedingly great and precious promises. And these promises are tailored for whatever situation you are in. Remember, God is the I am what my people need. Whatever you are going through, God is. God is. God is responsible to keep his promises. They are predicated on him and him alone. And as we simply strengthen ourselves in faith, we get to watch God fulfill his promises. We get to watch prodigals return to faith. I have seen two prodigal daughters return to faith. We get to see God's provision. I have experienced God's provision. We get to see God's protection. God will protect. And I have had God's protection. We get to see God's deliverance and God does deliver. And I have been a recipient of that deliverance. And we get to see God's 
favor resting upon us. And yes, I went to public school and I was always teacher's pet. Don't ask me how, except for it was God's favor. We get to have God's presence with us again. He will not leave us. He will not forsake us. And that's a blessing. We get God's blessing that can only be found in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1 tells us about the grace, the peace, the love, the joy, the redemption, the forgiveness of sins, the power and sealed by the Holy Spirit, the comforter. These are our reward as we walk in faith. And they are ours today, right now, this very second, we can call upon God. Moses said, what other, what other people have a God like our God that we can call on him at any time for whatever we need? Who else out there? What other religion offers us a God that is always available? who sits on the throne of heaven and says, come boldly into my presence 24-7 for whatever you need, and I will give it to you. What a reward we have. As one who is called into this divine lineage through Christ, let's give diligence to our faith that we might, having been saved by faith, receive those unctions of faith that put us right into the purposes of God, And let us grow in our faith, being sustained by the knowledge and the word and the promises and praise of God. Let's, let's, let our faith in God do all that God intends it to do in our lives. Let's stand up. Lord, we think of that dark night of the soul when Peter was about to go through the most tremendous time, when he would deny three times that he ever knew you, when he would watch all his dreams and um, everything that he ever hoped for seem to be shattered. And God, you said to him that Satan wanted to sift him like wheat, but you had prayed for him that his faith would not fail. Lord, we pray that you would give us that faith that will not fail. We pray, God, for that unction of faith that you would take us beyond ourselves into your divine purposes, where your divine promises will become our meat and our drink, Lord. We pray that you would sustain our faith and let it grow until it is a tree that we can give shade and rest to others. So God, we pray that you would do this. And as the disciples said, Lord, increase our faith. And we ask for the faith of our father, Abraham, to be ours through Christ Jesus. In your precious name, amen.